Want to hear more? With your Amazon device or Alexa app, say, Alexa, play country farm sounds and escape to a mid-1900s farm where you will take a walk during the morning chores. This is the Friday, February 9, 2024 version of the market analysis segment for Market to Market. USDA did little adjustment to the size of the Brazilian crop, leaving grain bulls sidelined. For the week, the nearby wheat contract lost three cents, while March corn cut 14 cents. Widespread rains in Argentina, along with wetter forecasts, took out much of the rally in the soy complex. The March contract declined a nickel, and March meal fell $10 per ton. March cotton expanded by 467 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, March Class 3 milk futures fell 38 cents. The livestock market was mixed. April cattle added 298, March feeders strengthened 235, and the April lean hog contract fell 268. In the currency markets, the U.S. dollar index increased by 15 ticks. March crude oil expanded by 442 per barrel. Comex gold shed 15.50 per ounce. And the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index improved nine points to settle at 558.30. Joining us now, regular market analyst Ted Seifert. Hi, Ted. Hey, Paul. Let's start with wheat. Okay. Because we like things that go sideways, right? No, no. No, no. But the thing with this market is it has been a global story. Yeah. Every time we think there's a U.S. development, sure. it still becomes global. This Always week is. is the same. Yeah. Russia has, again, put more onto the market. Right. Well, but wheat is always a global story because there's so many exporting countries. Wheat is grown everywhere, right? So uh, it, wheat is very sensitive to the U.S. dollar, so there's, there's that. But, I mean, if you look at how wheat has traded since the end of December, it's been absolutely sideways. At times, the range has been fairly wide, but we really keep gravitating back to the $6 level, and I'm talking, you know, March Chicago wheat, but... Uh, we've got our, our major moving averages, all the way from the 10, 20, 50, 100-day moving averages, all within about 10 cents of each other, just below five or just below six. And the average price since the end of December has been about 601 and a quarter. And I feel like we trade that price a few times per week. At some point, the wheat will break out in one direction or the other. Uh, it, it's kind of strange for markets to go this sideways for this long. But the question is what and when, and, and I don't think any of us have the answer for that. I mean, we trade futures and not today's. If we knew the answer to that, we'd be doing it right now. Let's go to corn. There was a story on, well, there was a WASDI report this week. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel that corn was a headliner? No. Impacted. No. So impacted. What's the, impacted. So what's the story in corn this week? Well, you know, we were looking for the corn carryover to come down just ever so slightly. I think there's a lot of justification for corn exports to move a little bit higher. I would have liked to see in the USDA bump it up 25 million bushels on exports just to say, hey, we're paying attention. We've got some good numbers. They didn't do that. Uh, they lowered FSI, uh, feed, seed, industrial, by 10 million bushel. And it didn't come from ethanol, so I'm not exactly sure what that was all about. But it added 10 million bushels to a carryover that we were thinking, or the average trade guess was for a little bit of a smaller carryover, ended up being a little bit bigger. I think the biggest takeaway for corn is that instead of trending towards a 2 billion or below uh, carryover, we're trending closer and closer to 2.2 billion. We're moving the wrong direction, Paul. And that's the problem that corn has right here. We just can't find anything to get terribly excited about. Yes, it's great to see more exports, but until they really pile up, it's not enough to really put a big, significant dent in that big, big carryover we have right now. 
I probably have 15 questions about corn yeah. from people watching at home sure. and reading. I won't get to them all, okay. but there's one thing that Naomi Bloom wrote this week, uh, and she said that the funds are short the com and people asking, are the commercials record long? Hmm. And she did some homework and said, yes, they are. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? Uh, well, so that tells me a number of things. One, it says that there's a lot of on-farm storage, right? Because the commercials had it in their hands, they wouldn't have to be long. So that means that the U.S. producer is a very large, long position in corn, okay? So everybody talks about the funds being record short, which, by the way, I'm very curious to see what happens on the commitment to traders for the next two weeks because these little interweek rallies that we've had, even though they've fallen apart, I think the funds are very sneakily getting out of some of these short positions to take some near-term profit. That being said, the next, or, well, the funds don't have to keep selling for the market to go down. There is another very large entity in the market that when they start selling, that could be our next big leg lower, and that is the, the producer. Unfortunately, Paul, we've seen time and time again, we get more cash movement, not with the carrot, i.e. selling into a rally, but with a stick, i.e. selling in, throwing the towel, panic selling on a bigger move lower. That, unfortunately, might be the next thing that happens to get that cash movement. Maybe it isn't. I'd love to see a, a, uh, a profit-taking, short-covering rally coming from the funds. I would love for producers to take that as an, as an opportunity to get some of those long positions, those natural long positions out of the market. But I don't know. You know, the price action doesn't feel great. But does the action from Brazil or South America change your tune at all or influence or maybe harden your opinion? Look, the, the thing that could help corn, and I think the, the grain complex as a whole, would be a big weather problem for that second season corn crop in Brazil. We know that um, Brazil has different soils, South America has different soils. They are still affected by weather, unlike if you look at our growing season last year, I'm going to say is probably the second worst growing season that we've had, or the, the worst growing season that we had since 2012, yet we ended up with a 177.3 national average yield, if you'll believe that. I don't know if we can get really excited about a weather issue during our growing season anymore, but we can get excited about something in South America because we saw how, how big, how, 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 how that impacted Argentina in a very negative way last year. So there is that possibility, but I hate the idea of hanging my marketing hopes on a possible weather problem for the second season corn crop in Brazil. So do you believe more the report out of South America about the size of their soybean crop hmm. or the United States uh -huh. in the guess of the South American crop and how that influences the soybean trade? Yeah, you know, it, and it's not just CONAB, it's really all the private analysts and everything like that. Um, I, I think what we're having here, Paul, is a problem with where the number started or should have started, right? Um, yeah, Conab continues to lower their production, uh, but they're not raising their beginning number. If you look at what's happened in the last seven years, the USDA has had to go back and raise Brazilian production because their exports say their production was bigger. And last year they had to raise, to this point, and they just did it an extra 2 million uh, metric tons on this report, at this point, it's 4% above what they thought last year's production was. So I think what's going on with the USDA is they're looking at their 163, which was their original projection for Brazil, and saying that might have been about 4% too small. So if we add 4% to that, that brings us to a 169.5. So to go from 169.5 down to a 156, that's a 13.5 million metric ton reduction. That's 8% of their overall crop. That makes sense. 
So what I feel like is happening is the USDA getting ahead of not wanting to have to revise this crop higher, and therefore it's allowing them or justifying them for not lowering it as much as how everybody really feels like it should be. Um, and by the way, if you lower it 10%, that takes us down to about a 153 million metric tons. That's still not a number that I think gets us really excited. And Paul, it's not us that need to get excited. The way we know if there's a problem with Brazil, the way we know that if global ending stocks and soybeans are going to get tight, and therefore our domestic ending stocks are going to get tight, is if China comes in and starts buying aggressively. We've seen the opposite of that. The last three weeks export sales for soybeans have been very poor. At a time of year, they should be really, really good. That is a problem. We're seeing more switches out of unknown destinations to their actual destinations, which, by the way, means that we're going to see some big export inspections numbers here over the next couple of weeks. But the sales are lacking at a time where we really need them. And that's why the USDA raised, or I'm sorry, raised ending stocks, but lowered our exports 35 million bushels, even with problems in Brazil. That's a problem. Because I think what you're saying is if USDA doesn't see China buying from Brazil, they're not going to buy from the U.S., therefore reduce our exports? Uh, if, China's, if China thinks there's a problem with Brazil, they would be aggressively buying up. Well, it says one of two things. It either says that China doesn't believe that there's a problem with Brazil and they're more along the lines of what the USDA's production number is, or they don't have the demand, or a combination of those two things. And either way, if they're not buying from us, they don't have a sense of urgency to come in, and they don't worry about that Brazil crop. There's no reason to say, oh, prices have to go sharply higher because we're not selling the soybeans, Paul. Do I get political and say, what would a tariff uh, do to change that story? I can't be good, right? I mean, that's we're basically that's you're, you're what you're saying is you're, we're threatening to go back into trade war all over again, right? I mean, like we've never really relaxed the tariffs that we already have on, but when you increase those dramatically, China's already threatened to 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 reverse the course of the 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 good measures that they've they've tried to set forth. They were here in Des Moines. Last year, for the first time since 2017, that's not going to happen again, Paul. We're not going to see the 10 million metric ton purchases again. That'll, that'll really hurt us. If that happens. Yeah, I get you. Okay, I need to move to livestock because that was uh, some positive yeah. news out of WASD for cattle market. Sure. Right? Do you agree? Absolutely. I, look, I, you know, I, I, I really didn't understand the slide that we saw in cattle, but especially feeder cattle from September into the uh, first week, uh, December 6th, I think was the low. We really overshot the mark to the downside. And that is a very good example of how managed money can really affect markets, especially thinner traded markets like the livestock complex. Uh, we really overran what I would consider fair value. Now, we've had a very significant bounce back. We've had some good data. Uh, the stock market indices continue to march higher. We gotta feel really good about consumer, domestic consumer demand. Our export demand's actually been pretty all right. And I mean, everybody I talk to is just saying the animals aren't out there. You know, feeder cattle are just so hard to find. Um, so this makes more sense. You know, basically what's happened since the middle of December to now makes a lot more sense. Now the question is, since we've had a very significant bounce, really we're talking about a 66% retracement in Fibonacci off the lows. Where do we go from here? And the volatility that we've seen in the last couple of days, the fact that we weren't able to hold on to strength on Friday, I'm a little worried that we get a bit, a bit of a correction, but longer term, I'm still really rather, rather friendly on the cattle complex as a whole, as long as our domestic economy stays strong. Oh, that's the cattle side, but the feeder side is way more tied to it than it ever used to be, it seems here in this rally up. So what do you see on the feeder side? I mean, look, 
contract lows and contract lows on corn, you know, day after day with improving pasture conditions, these are all really good things, right? And th that is a friendly thing for feeder cattle. The look, the feeder cattle market is trying to serve a purpose, and it wants more animals, right? And it's going to, I think it really will continue to have more upside potential until it gets what it wants. And you've got cheaper feedstocks, you've got uh, other options as well. Um, so I think that happens over time, but we're not there yet, Paul. Best 30 seconds on hogs this week. What's going on? You know, we were really, really down and out on hogs going into the end of the calendar year uh, and into the first couple days of trading this year. We were very worried about the California effect. We've since kind of moved on from that and realized that, hey, life goes on. Um, and while I'm not super bullish on hog prices going forward, I think that we've got a nice bottom there. Uh, we've really had a nice bounce off the lows. We do have a lot of, you know, up and down days here. So we might have been, we might see some topping action here in the near term. Uh, but I'm not expecting a big flush out in the hogs. I think we've gotten past that point now, Paul. Yeah, and the chart is, again, heavily volatile and, and hard to keep up with. All right, Ted, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. All right. Ted Seifert, everyone. We'll be back with Market Plus in a little bit, but I do need Ted to hold on because we are going to pause in our analysis here and then continue our discussion and answer your questions in our Market Plus segment. You can find both analysis and plus there on our website of markettomarket.org. One thing before we go. Agriculture lost a great champion this week. Bill Northey served as a deputy secretary of USDA under Sonny Perdue. Prior to that, he was elected as Iowa Secretary of Agriculture twice and served for eight years. Bill Northey was 64 years old. 